2: You have now I think ninety percent of the players are not registered to vote. Or as a at last I think before they all got, got in, it was like twenty percent. So a lot of these guys were not aware. They were not aware of, you know, their role in society and what they could do in contributing. And now they understand they have a voice that can come with their vo- with their vote.
3: Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we talk to the Athletics' Michael Lee about all things NBA as the NBA Finals wrap up, as well as the time in the bubble. Also, I've got some choice words about LeBron James's sense of the mission and the moment. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards. I got Kaepernick Watch and more, but first, let's talk to Michael Lee. First and foremost, um, just so my notes are right, this is Michael Lee from The Athletic and not Mike Lee, the Republican senator who was giving everybody COVID and says he shouldn't exist in the United States, right? That that I am the one who
2: supports democracy and uh, plan on voting November 3rd. (laughs) Okay. And and, and, and and I I, I have a mystery in front of my
3: my name on Twitter, so it's it's Mr. Michael Lee. (laughs) <laughs> we have an expensive, uh phone list for the Edge of Sports podcast. I just wanted to make sure we got the right Mike Lee before we got started. Although I did. I'm- I'll, 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 although it's funny, when uh, when Mike Lee
2: was first uh, elected a senator, um, I don't know how it happened, but some for some odd reason, some of his, I guess, constituents in Utah would email me at the yeah. Washington Post when I worked there. And I was like, uh, do you realize what email you just hit up? Like, <laughs> I am not a senator.
3: senator lee (laughs) oh my (laughs) god that 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 is something else um so first and foremost we're doing this interview just putting this out there very firmly for the people out there we're doing this interview the morning of saturday october 10th friday october 9th was game five of the nba finals uh miami heat los angeles lakers down to the wire to me it was I'm, i'm being serious one of the top 10 or 15 games i've ever seen in my life the Heat win by uh, <laughs> by, by a sliver. Um, am I overstating how great that game was? I mean, it's hard to say what my top 10 is or 15, but that was
2: definitely one of the best games I've seen. Um, it was fantastic. It was riveting. You had, you know, stars going back and forth. Um, you had the drama of just the Heat being undermanned. Um, you had the Lakers just kind of cockily wearing their um, – their 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 Mamba jerseys and Anthony Davis wearing these gold trophy shoes like it it was it was a lot into the game so and it just came and the fact that it came down to the last possession and yeah it was just it was a thrilling game I mean it, it was fantastic I, I it'd be hard for me to say what my top ten or whatever is I had to really think about that but I guess just based off of recency bias and just whatever we just saw it definitely was probably top five for at least at least
3: this year. <laughs> I got to ask you when 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 we judge what makes a top 10 or top 15 game so much of it is of course you know about atmosphere how much is lost in your mind by these finals games being in the bubble a lot um I mean you get to see who is really a
2: hooper and who loves basketball and is not really caught up in the ancillary stuff that that comes with you know being a hooper um and I think that's been probably been the one most impressive aspect of it all is that these guys are really committed to just playing ball. And like you know that this is a pure thing for them, you know, even though they get compensated well, there's a lot that comes with it in terms of the fame and the and all, all the adulation. At the end of the day, these are just kids that grew up, you know, outside you know, shooting hoops in their backyard or out at the park, and they love it. And I think that's probably been the best part of the bubble is that you see the purity of the fact that they love these games, but in terms of atmosphere, it is different when you don't see the fans like actually in the stands. Like you know, you see a virtual Rihanna, but you're not actually seeing her on the on the bench. You know, shouting at LeBron. You know, on on the sideline shouting at him. It's, it's sort of uh, a different experience. And I'm sure the players, especially when it comes to the finals, that you wish that you had that kind of that kind of environment. Because I, I, there were a couple games, like Game Five was special, Game Three was special, but like Game Two sort of felt like just a game in a gym with no fans, you know? It's just kind of an empty, low vibe kind of game, and you don't get that in the finals. Every game is high energy.
3: Has anyone in the bubble, and there are other people who we could put up there as possibilities, people like Dame Lillard, Jamal Murray, uh, the Joker, even Tyler Hero, but has anyone in the bubble done more to advance their rep in league circles than Jimmy Butler? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, what he's done is
2: just totally transformed just the perception of him as a person and as a player because I think going into this bubble, you know no one will classify him as a superstar. They'd say he was a really good all star caliber player, but he's not really on that that elite level. you know there's a separation, and he's just right under right beneath that. But when you go toe to toe with Lebron James and you have a forty point triple double and then have a thirty five point triple double two games later and you get wins against, you know, the best player of this generation, um, you're up there in the upper echelon. And when you take a team that was a fifth seed, you upset Milwaukee, you knock off Boston, and now you're making a heavily favored Lakers team, think about, you know, everything going forward. Um, You're an elite player, and I think he's done that. And I think people now realize that, you know, he probably was miscast in Minnesota and Philadelphia as being a sidekick when he should have been the lead guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the franchise probably should have, should have respected him as that. And the Bulls made a mistake in not seeing the value in just what he contributed to winning, you know? That, that's why you got to give Pat Pat Riley credit. You know, he looks and sees guys and, and knows what they can do. And he puts them in that Heat culture and squeezes out the best of them. So I think a lot of it is that he was underrated, but you also got to give credit to the Miami Heat. Because I can't think of a player who had his best years once he left Miami. You know mm. when you think about guys been through the heat, their best years kind of come when they're, they're, when they're in that heat uniform. Um, you know, and I think that's the, he, he's, he's the latest example.
3: and we got to give some credit according to stories uh, to Dwayne Wade, because uh, the story is that Spolstra and Riley were doubting whether Butler was that guy, and Wade insisting that his fellow Marquette brethren. Uh, was, in fact, that
2: guy. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, when you think about how Dwayne Wade left the the Heat to go to Chicago to play there, and the entire time Wade is just sitting there just wondering, like, why this Bulls structure is nothing like anything he dealt with in Miami, and he's just complaining to, you know, Jimmy Butler the whole time and explaining him what it was like with the Heat. And it basically just turned into a a season-long recruiting pitch to the Miami (laughs) Heat that neither one knew that was happening. And once the Bulls traded Jimmy, you know, he started thinking about places that he wanted to play when he he took control of his career. Miami was at the top of that list. And they came close to trading for him before Philadelphia snatched him. And so there's always sort of been this connection. And I always think the beauty of basketball is that you always see these ties and just the separation. You know, you think about um, Pat Riley, right? His assistant coach was Jeff Van Gundy, whose assistant coach was Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau was who introduced Jimmy Butler to to NBA basketball and now Tom Thibodeau who was a disciple of a Riley disciple hands him off to a Riley to Pat Riley and now you get to see the best of Jimmy in in an environment that seems to match him he's he's with his tribe now and, and you see him playing with a that kind of defiant cantankerous kind of you know tone and he's got a, he got a group of guys that that matches his 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 uh, style
3: it is stunning because sometimes, you know, you think about Dwayne Wade on the Bulls as being almost like an accident of history, like you <laughs> yeah. know, a dream sequence. Like, did that really happen? And yeah, yet, I it turned in a, in a Wade Bulls jersey once and it just freaked me out. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And, and yet it, it, it turns out to be maybe the pivot of a very important basketball history moment of the recruiting of Jimmy Butler. Yeah, it's pretty
2: incredible and I think that, you know, you got to give Jimmy props too because he stayed true to himself throughout this whole process, you know. Um people were saying that he's difficult to deal with and that he's, you know, a malcontent and he's just a team cancer and he played along with it. He would joke up, he would joke about it, but all along he was just right waiting for the a right situation to be around guys that, you know, rep, that understood hard work, understood accountability. And all the things that are required to be competitors and to really be champions. And he never really won, but he never was surrounded by winners. And, you know, when you look at Miami from Pat Riley on down, there's just a structure there. There's a demand there. And it's just it's been the perfect fit for him.
3: Amazing. Now, so it's. Three games to two as we're doing this interview, Saturday, October 10th. And I feel bad asking you this because by the time this goes live, game six is already going to have been played because it goes live on Monday. Game six is Sunday night. So, But where are you on the belief meter that the Heat could either send this to seven or even come back all the way?
2: You know, at this point, I don't even care
1: because
2: <laughs> what what I, I, I think I'm, I'm impressed that they were able to win two games because you look at it and it's not mentioned hardly enough. It's not said nearly enough. They're without their leading scorer this postseason. I mean, Jimmy Butler's the best player because he does everything. He he fills in whatever gaps. And I always say that, you know, Jimmy's in a unique situation because he doesn't have a supporting cast. He supports the cast, which is a different kind of role that a superstar often plays. So he just does whatever needs to be done, and now he has to score and and get triple-doubles. But they're missing Goran Dragic, who is, to me, you know, a really great guy, like he's, he's, and he's also somebody who just showed tremendous patience, you know, in Miami and just hoping for the opportunity to play, but he's out. And I was just looking and thinking about teams that lost their leading score during the postseason. What happened? And I go back to 1989 when Magic was with the Lakers and he pulled his hamstring in game one against the Pistons and they got swept. Um, and then i go back to um or was it Game Two? I think it was Game Two. He he pulled his hamstring, and they got swept. And then I go to last year when the um, Kevin Durant came back from his calf injury, tries to play it anyway, and he ruptures his Achilles, and he goes out. And then Clay Thompson gets hurt, and he you know tears his uh, ACL, and they wind up losing to the Raptors. And so when you lose somebody like that, and you're already kind of undermanned, you're a fifth seed, you're not expected much, not much is expected of you. You should get swept. Like that's what—that's the expectation—is that you're going to be gone. But it's a credit to the Heat. It's a credit to their culture. It's a credit to the defined nature of all the players that they have on their roster. That they that they even made it to win two games. So if they win three, so be it. If they don't, I think that they've made a clear case that, you know, that this is an organization that's about, you know, extracting the best they possibly, the most they possibly can, out of you, and p- producing the best version of yourself. And um, there's so many cases, so many examples you can make um, since Pat Riley's been in Miami and since Eric Spoelstra's really been coach, that if you're going to get it done and you're going to be a truly special player, this is where it's going to happen. And that's from a LeBron James down to, you know, a Derrick Jones Jr., you know, uh, slam dunk champion, you know, uh, who was, you know, you know, uh, discarded by Phoenix Suns a few years ago. so you you just it's just something special about that place and uh it's not just the beach.
3: Mm. Now, for folks who don't know, you you've written just terrific copy about the politics of the bubble, of the effort of the players to speak out, to make good trouble. And I wanted to ask you now that this bubble experiment is coming to a close, what is your take, like strictly politically, um and I guess yeah, and you got to add in like the quality of ball too, do you feel like it was the right decision to go all in on this bubble, um or do you think the Kyrie position that the 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 season should have just been cancelled? do you think what do you think history is going to say was the right decision on this?
2: I would say this absolutely was the right decision um when you think of all that came out of it one um you have now, I think, ninety percent of the players are not registered to vote. Or as a at last, I think before they got, got in, there's like twenty percent. So a lot of these guys were not aware. They were not aware of you know their role in society and what they could do in contributing. And now they understand they have a voice that can come with their vote with their vote, but also with their finances. They needed to be down there to make the money. Because I had somebody tell me it's better to be a rich activist than a poor activist, <laughs> because you can actually go out there and get done, get things done. But also they have access to power, you know, that, that other people don't have. You know, you go on the streets and you protest if you can't reach the senators and you can't reach the, the congressmen and you can't reach the state legislators. NBA players can. If they want to go out there and, and try to get something pushed along, they have access to it. They have the financial means to do it. And they have connections with people who can put them in contact with the right places. It's cool that they're out in the streets and they were marching with the people, and that's that's great, that's admirable, and that's what I I love to see. But they also had the ability to do more than that, and I think that that's what they have an awareness for. I love to hear them speaking out for Breonna Taylor. I love to see what the Milwaukee Bucks did when they when they had a strike, you know, for Jacob Blake. I think that that was a powerful statement, even if they didn't come anything, even even nothing came of it, other than just waking up people and saying that, you know, we need you to look at us as complete whole human beings and not just here for your entertainment value. I think that they they would show great leadership in terms of um, you know, setting the tone for the other sports leagues. Um, they encourage baseball players, football players to speak out as well. And I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the WNBA because I think that they go harder than anybody when it comes to this type of stuff. And I think that they set a shining example about how you can go about being a professional sports league. That can push an agenda but also put out a quality product and so i admire just the, the two basketball leagues uh, the bubbles the wobble whatever you want to call it um and just how the players really took it upon themselves to not just show that they can, they work hard at their craft you know that makes them money but they also have a, a bare social responsibility to the marginalized people who can't use their voices to be heard um i think there was some disappointment uh, when you saw, you know, the decision, you know, um, with Breonna Taylor and, and Daniel Cameron, uh decision not to prosecute the people who murdered her. Um, but I think that the players continue to push forward. They continue to play, they continue to compete, and they show a tremendous discipline. And um, I, I honestly, I, I just assume there's going to be at least one player who's going to screw up in a major way and that there'll be more COVID cases, but there are none. Um, There were a couple of embarrassing moments. I mean, Lou Williams makes a lemon pepper run at Magic City. Daniel House makes a house call. But other than that, you basically had guys who were serious about making sure that they didn't embarrass the league. And they, they gave us three months of really good basketball and a good quality product.
3: No, I agree with that. Um, do you think the when because I haven't spoken to you about this, like the, the moment when the players when the games were canceled, the Bucks went out on strike, the other games didn't go, take place. Do you think the players should have held out for more to continue the playoffs or w- what was your take about them going back to work?
2: You know, a lot of people said that, you know, that they should have you know, had a strike and had a reason for it and had a purpose, had a plan, had a strategy. And I think that the strike was the strategy. It was the plan, <laughs> you know, because um, they were able to say, get the league to sort of support, open up the arenas as sort of voting booths and uh, uh, polling places. And I think that's that's fine. But I don't think that it was necessary. I think that just making that statement right then and there, not today, I'm not doing it today, I think that was enough. And I, I don't know if they could have demanded more or what they actually, actually could have gotten out of it. But I think that just raising the awareness and sort of forcing people to to look at them and 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 who they are, and that you know, yeah, yeah, we're out here for you to provide entertainment, but there are some things in this, in this world that are going on that we just can't deal with right now, and you can't ask us to go out there and perform for you when our when our hearts and our minds aren't in it. And I thought it was admirable that the Bucks did it primarily because they were the number one seed, they had the best record, they had the two-time MVP on their on their team. And they had a guy in Sterling Brown who had already gone through his own incident um, with police brutality. And I just felt like they really brought it home, especially in a state like Wisconsin, um, which is going to be a pivotal, pivotal state, you know, uh, in the upcoming election. I thought it was it was a very powerful statement. If nothing came out of it, if, the, if nothing came out of it, just a strike for just one day, then I think that was enough. Um, I don't I don't think it necessarily needed to be a plan or strategy. Um, I don't know if I mean I, I like Rosa Parks just didn't feel like getting up one day, <laughs> and it turned into a movement. But you need you just needed her to say, "I'm not doing it," to make it happen. And uh, and I thought that I'm not saying this is on that scale, and I I, I don't want to disrespect or blaspheme, you know, the civil rights movement. But I do want to say that um, sometimes you just got to do what's right. And I thought in that moment what the Bucks did was right.
3: Well, that's that's real talk right there. Um, Shout out to the book, The Rebellious Life of Rosa Parks by Jean Thea Harris about um, her entire life's history, which is so interesting. Um, Well, you've been so generous with your time. I know this is Saturday morning and all the rest of it and all the responsibilities that go in there. Um, I do want to ask you this just because you're in Philly. Uh, Doc Rivers, you feeling that high?
2: Not really. Um, And I like Doc. Um, I just wish he had taken some time off after the job, uh, after what happened with the Clippers. I I think that if there's one downside to the whole bubble, is that the Clippers didn't give us the playoff series that we all wanted. Everybody was talking about Lakers Clippers for since for 14 months. You know, Mm -hmm. we went over a year wanting to see this happen, and it just didn't come together. And they got they blew a 3-1 lead and they just Mm -hmm. choked off, you know, Three double-digit leads in the last three games, and I thought it was embarrassing. So he's going from one mess um, to another one in Philadelphia, which a lot of people don't view it as a mess because they have two great talents in uh, uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But there's a lot of the, there's a lot there in terms of the sense of entitlement, uh, the lack of accountability, and just developing bad habits over the last couple of years. He's going to do a lot of cleaning up. You know, so he may have left a mess with the Clipper land, but he's got to sweep up what, what Brett Brown left behind in Philly. And um, I don't know if they'll be able to solve all their answers because they have, um, solve all their problems because they have, you know, um, bad contracts, bad fit, uh, ill-fitting roster, and they got to do some cleaning up. And they also got to kind of change the culture there a bit. Um, and it's going to be a big challenge for Doc, and uh, I hope for his sake that he can— you know, solve some of the issues, but I'm not optimistic.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, Ben Simmons makes John Wall look like Trent Tucker. Can you win with a point guard who refuses to shoot? No, and that's why I think they're gonna have to eventually play him
2: at power forward, because you can't be at the top of the key handling the ball if you're not willing to shoot it. You're 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 wasting your role at the top of the key. If you can't shoot, then go ahead and be Bam Adebayo. You know, just set up inside the foul line and inside, and make plays from there for players uh, from there. But you can't face the basket and never look at it. You know, you got to be able at some point pull up and shoot a jumper. Otherwise, you're hurting your team because teams don't have to defend you. They can double off and start defending uh, Joel Embiid or Tobias Harris and make things situation hard for them. They can't get to the basket because there's limited spacing because they can just so crowd the paint, clogging. Are you just standing up there dribbling and looking for somebody to get open? Uh, if you're not ever gonna be aggressive and shoot jumpers, and I don't need them to shoot threes. I I never thought you needed them to shoot threes. Jimmy Butler had a 40-point triple double with no threes. I mean, you can still play this game if you got a mid-range game or you got something else going for you. But if you're never gonna shoot the ball, then you need to figure out what your new position is gonna be, because I can't have my point guard refusing to shoot.
3: That's real talk right there. Uh michael i really do appreciate the time any music you're listening to you want to share with us
2: i've been bumping that uh nas king's disease like crazy the last yes. uh, since it came out. and uh it just it just i just love listening to it um i love the music from hit boy and uh i, I just i'm just feeling it like it's just it's, it's good to just have an album i can just put on and just hit play and not have to skip and just vibe out to it so that's what i've been listening to lately
3: I've had the same experience it feels like it's 1996
2: yeah it's just it's just a cool it's a cool album like i i, I love you know i love introspective Nice. i love when he goes in and just talks about life and goes back into just storytelling mode and um and he, he did some did, did, did some great songs on there so
3: i've uh, been listening to that a lot mm-hmm. generationally important artist to,
2: yeah. to, to, the, war, to the war is one is my favorite song on there probably
3: Right. Shout out to Nasir Jones. Shout out to Michael Lee. Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast.
2: Yeah, for real. I, I mean, if you want, man, I'm surprised you didn't ask me any questions about LeBron.
3: Now it's purposely not. Oh, <laughs> if you must okay. know, but if you want, because I'm I'm doing a little uh, verbal essay after the break about LeBron. <laughs> oh, okay. About, All right. about, but I'll, hey, I'll throw it at you though. LeBron legacy who he is at this moment in his career, uh, please tell us because that'll be a great lead into my my commentary. Sure.
2: I mean, yeah, I I was waiting. I was like, he's going to ask me a question about LeBron? Okay. All
3: right.
2: Um, Do you want to like tape it again with a question or? No, no, we'll just roll. I love it. Oh, uh, oh, LeBron legacy. Um, You know, I think his legacy is going to be determined once his career is over with. And I think a lot of people are prematurely trying to start a conversation that isn't necessary at this point in his career what i think is is necessary though is just an appreciation for his longevity his durability and this and the fact that he's basically been the bouncer you know standing at the door determining who gets to go in and play for championships for 10 years which is pretty impressive and you know a couple of people have snuck and snuck past him you know and got the ring but he's always popping up you know in, 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 every year he's always there and saying oh wait uh, you you got to get through me still. And I think that's one of the most admirable traits of him um, is that he keeps adapting, evolving and finding uh, new ways to to be relevant. And I think he made uh, the smartest decision possible by, you know, adding Anthony Davis to, to him, to, to his team, because Anthony Davis is the future of the center of the big man um, in the game. And he's the quintessential big man. He's he's going to allow LeBron to age gracefully, to and maintain his championship relevance um, without like being that that kind of eyesore. Guy gets old real fast, you know. AD will be able to carry him uh, whenever he declines. Um, he's had the most extended prime of any superstar that I can recall ever. And, uh, it's yeah, it's it's been amazing to watch, um, you know. Uh, and I I just I just leave it at that because I I I could get into other topics but I don't really want to cheapen an appreciation for LeBron. I feel I think a lot of times people try to compare him to other people and I won't say any names but I don't think that's necessary to get a full picture of what LeBron is and the fact that he's an all time great and he's one of the best scorers we've ever seen. But he's probably a better passer than he is a scorer. Um, he's been one of the most versatile players we've ever seen. And he's also empowered himself in a way that no other players can um, in that he's always looking to find the next challenge. And, you know, say what you will. I mean, some people may not like it, but he's doing what's best for him. Um, He's not around for extended rebuilds, not around for anybody to make money off of him if he's not trying to win championships. And so he's always trying to put himself in the most advantageous situation to win. And um, sometimes it cheapens it, but I think uh, in the long term, in the long run, he's gonna wind up winning because of that.
3: And I have to put out there um, that that's a great lead-in for what's gonna happen after the break, where I'm gonna talk about LeBron's sense of mission. But I have to say that you know there's a certain clown out there. He's an outrage merchant. I'm not even gonna say his name. Mm-hmm. Who is you saying that somehow cheapens LeBron's legacy? to win a championship in the bubble because it's so unimpressive. And that made me want to jump out of my skin because he's playing in a bubble. He's playing without home court advantage, which the Lakers earned. He's playing without the crowd to win a championship. And I mean, you saw with the Clippers how difficult it is to raise your game in that kind of surroundings. I mean, he should be giving be given credit for the way he's elevated his game in that context. Don't you think?
2: Um well, I think everybody's going through the same struggle, so um I think and, and you know t- to emerge from that you know i think uh, again it speaks to his durability, his longevity, and the fact that he has he's an impeccable you know mental strength you know um he's the smartest guy uh that i can re- that i've ever covered, you know, just because he he knows what the other team's supposed to do, he knows what he's supposed to do, he knows what all ten guys in the quarter are supposed to do at at a certain time, so he's a savant and uh But I think in terms of just the bubble itself, I don't think that it needs to have an asterisk or anything or any kind of demerit, or I don't think it needs to get extra credit. I think it is what it is. Um, And everybody kind of had to deal with the same situations. Um, But he's the one that's that's standing, and that's how any championship season goes. Every year, every team has to put up with something. And I think this was unique in that him being 35 years old, he also never had to travel. He never had to get on a plane and go and have to deal with waking up in a different place. He had the comfort of being in the same place all season, uh, all um, reboot long. So there there were some downsides. There were some upsides. But I think everybody had to do, do the same thing. The fact that he's still standing just speaks to just his greatness, no matter where it is in a bubble or anywhere else.
3: No, that's real talk right there. Uh, Michael Lee, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Hey, for sure, man. Anytime, man. this is what you got to read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. I've now got some choice words about LeBron James's sense of the mission and the moment. So can LeBron James save democracy? Saving democracy seems a hell of a lot to ask of a basketball player, even one with the galactic gifts that the ageless James still possesses. But LeBron, as if this hasn't been manifestly clear for a decade, has aspirations that stretch far beyond the boundaries of a 94-foot piece of hardwood. It started with a simple photo in 2012 of LeBron James and his Miami Heat teammates in hoodies to protest the racist stalking and murder of Trayvon Martin. That image became perhaps the first sports photograph to go viral across social media. It was certainly the first one to catch a mass audience at the intersection of sports and politics. There was a power to the image. Black players, white players, American and foreign born all made anonymous by a hoodie shadowing their faces, but also unmistakably branded with LeBron's affirmation. From that moment on, we've seen LeBron James come into his own power, using a social media platform that is even greater than the Twitter-addicted president, to reach people with a series of images and messages. Each one has become iconic, markers of our time. There is LeBron in his I can't breathe shirt. There is LeBron calling Donald Trump you bum when Trump disinvited the Golden State Warriors to the White House. There is LeBron starting a public school in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, and using his social media with great pride at showing at-risk kids pursuing their dreams. There is LeBron just last month laying his pain out for all to see when a Kentucky grand jury on the explicit direction of Attorney General Daniel Cameron did not bring charges against the police killers of Brianna Taylor. He wrote, I've been lost for words today. I'm devastated, hurt, sad, mad. We want justice for Brianna, yet justice was meant for her neighbor's apartment walls and not her beautiful life. Was I surprised at the verdict? Absolutely not, but damn it, I was and still am hurt and heavy hearted. I send my love to Brianna's mother, family, and friends. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The I'm sorry is the most revealing part of his message. It's an acknowledgement of his own power and his feeling that, as Spider-Man taught us, that with great power comes great responsibility. Now, as of this writing, we have LeBron fighting to get people out to vote, attempting to have the fines of the formerly incarcerated paid off so they can have the franchise, and trying to bring this dark chapter of U.S. history to an end. We have not seen a superstar athlete who used their mighty platform to further political struggle in such a manner since Muhammad Ali. This is beyond Ali. Because of social media, LeBron is not dependent, unlike Ali, on mainstream coverage to tell his side of the story. Because of social media, LeBron does not require a Howard Cosell type figure to act as a buffer between the public. Because of social media, LeBron doesn't only have a message, he is the message there's another aspect of LeBron's influence that is often under-discussed. By choosing to engage with the world and be a voice against police violence, as well as for voting rights, he's been able to accomplish two tasks. The first task, which happened in the aftermath of the Miami Heat photo, was that his own political engagement created a force field for other players to come out of the political closet, be heard, and not face repercussions from management. After all, If LeBron is speaking out, how can you punish the last guy on the bench or an aging veteran for also speaking their piece? A younger fan might not believe it, given today's woke, player-empowered NBA culture, but this was a league in the 1990s that exiled two players, Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, because they were political athletes who spoke truth to power in a manner that did not go with the NBA's marketing imperatives. LeBron bent the entire culture of the league to his will making it less about what could be sold and more about what could be told. If the NBA is proud to stand for something bigger than the game, they have LeBron to thank for dragging them into the 21st century. Yes, Adam Silver should get credit for recognizing early in his tenure that he needed to go where the league's best player was taking him, but we should recognize that this was a case of the player leading and the league following. In fact, it is difficult to imagine this entire bizarrely positive experience in the bubble without LeBron. Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts and hundreds of employees should get all the credit in the world for creating a safe space where there would be no positive COVID tests and a legitimately recognized NBA playoffs. But the way that the league was able to express politics during the play and be seen as a part of the largest social upheaval in the history of the United States of unapologetically saying that black lives do in fact matter, is difficult to imagine without LeBron. Hell, if LeBron had sided with Kyrie Irving, I know not very likely, and said that the bubble would be a distraction from the movement in the streets, there's no good reason to think that the season would have gone forward at all. No LeBron, no NBA. Similarly, when the Milwaukee Bucks shocked the world and went on strike, refusing to take the court following the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, there was a question whether the playoffs would even continue. It is stirring that, according to all reports, it was LeBron and the Lakers, as well as the Clippers, who wanted to just ditch the rest of the season. If LeBron had firmly said that there would be no playoffs, then it is safe to say that there would, in fact, have been no playoffs. That is important to remember. Even though it was LeBron chasing Michael Jordan's six championships. Even though it was LeBron chasing every playoff record in the books. Even though it was LeBron with perhaps the most to lose, he was ready to walk. Then to his credit, he saw that the Lakers and Clippers were in a minority, and they made the choice to listen to Chris Paul, listen to the union, and continue the playoffs. At the precise moment when LeBron had to surrender his mogul icon status and become his other identity, the union ball player, he wore that outfit and acted accordingly. There's no question that LeBron has his detractors. He's of a different generation than the younger players in the league. He can, to the rankling of some, carry himself as more of a boss than a player. There are those who resent his power, his sway, and his impatient on-court mannerisms. But when Donald Trump took a big shot at LeBron, calling him unintelligent, the defenders came out of the woodwork starting with Michael Jordan himself and then a floodgate of athletes from Steph Curry to Nick Young took to Twitter to defend him with Nick Young saying LeBron is going to be president someday although LeBron might be the only person who becoming president would constitute a demotion. Players leap to LeBron's defense because there is an understanding that he has blazed a very particular trail unique in sports history. He is a mogul activist Someone who is both of his sport, but also bigger than his sport. He is able to have mainstream appeal while being unapologetically for black liberation. He is able to aid his local community in Akron, while also having the influence globally to effect change. Has LeBron navigated every political pitfall perfectly? Of course not. To hear him speak about China and their oppression of the Muslim minority would be groundbreaking. To see him work not only for the vote, but to also loudly call out voter suppression would be vital to this moment. When we consider that this is someone who's been in the public eye for 20 years, over half of his life, when we consider that he was called the chosen one before he was old enough to drive a car without a licensed driver in the passenger seat, then one can only tip their hat to the path he has blazed, the influence he has had, and the story he has written. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, let us realize the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Like a steel rim in a public park, LeBron has used his moral strength to bend that arc and move us closer to a world where justice is more than an aspiration, but something tangible, something that could be accomplished in our lifetimes. Love him or hate him, he will still be there, all 6'8", 260 pounds, bending that arc into a bridge away from our dystopian present and towards a better future. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now back to the edge of sports podcast. Now's the time for part of the show that we call just stand up and just sit your ass down. The just stand up award this week goes to the WNBA, not for being the WNBA and showing us all what it means to actually bring your sports and politics together and use your league as a platform to speak out for change. I'm talking about something more specific. There was uh what we thought would be a tragedy earlier this week, and hopefully she'll get any help that she needs. But a WNBA veteran and star named Cappy Pondexter went missing, and she's since been found. But people didn't know where she was, she didn't have her ID. And there was something profoundly moving if you if you followed this about how the WNBA players, the union, the league, they all took to social media to be like, we need to find Cappy. And I was just like, what other league would do this? Where if somebody was in some kind of distress or duress, everybody coming together, everybody, union players, league, to be like, where's Cappy? We need help finding her. I mean, it just, it was very moving to me, that sense of solidarity and sisterhood. So a big shout out to the WNB. I don't know how Cappy Pondexter's story is going to end. It's complicated. I don't want to get into the details of it. People can look them up. There are clearly issues that she needs to face. Uh, but just the fact that the League uh, really surrounded her uh, with love at a moment where she clearly needed it uh, was something that was really quite beautiful. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Awards. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down goes to Donald Trump and the Republican Party for using an image of Jackie Robinson in a campaign advertisement. And Jackie Robinson, yes, he was a Republican early in his life. But then by 1964, with the rise of Barry Goldwater, he said the Republican Party is the party of racism and violence. So he absolutely saw where the Republican Party was going in the 1960s and rejected it with all his heart on racial justice grounds. And when Donald Trump and them used Jackie Robinson's picture, it drew the condemnation of his daughter, Sharon Robinson. And this is what Sharon Robinson said. She said, Jackie Robinson's family strongly objects to the use of Jackie Robinson's image. The Trump campaign is in opposition to all that Jackie Robinson stood for and believed in. We're insulted and demand that his image be removed. Exclamation point. Went with the exclamation point. Don't mess with Jackie Robinson, Donald Trump. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch, where we talk about the latest comings and goings of Colin Kaepernick. This week on Kaepernick Watch, I want to talk about Abolition for the People, which is a new project that's being produced by Kaepernick Publishing. It's about the building the movement for a future without policing and prisons. And over the next month, this project is going to publish 30 articles from organizers, political prisoners, scholars and advocates All of which point to the crucial conclusion that policing and prisons do not serve as solutions for the issues that the people and the state deem to be social problems. Some of these essay writers include Angela Davis, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and Colin Kaepernick himself. And Kaepernick's essay is already up. It's fantastic. People should check it out. And this is what Kaepernick's doing. People ask me sometimes, like, hey, what, where is Colin Kaepernick? Why isn't he more outspoken? Why isn't he doing this or that? Well, this is what he's doing. He's doing Abolition for the People, the Movement for a Future Without Policing in Prisons. It's over on Medium. It's an incredible series. I've posted about it on my Twitter page, at Edge of Sports. People should definitely check it out. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much to Michael Lee for joining us. Thank you so much to my producer, David Tigabu. For everybody out there who's listening to the show for the first time, check out last week's show where we interviewed Spencer Haywood. It was an absolute blast. If you dig the show, give us a rating, write a little comment. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.